Thank you, Brad, for doing that. Glad to have you guys here this morning. And yeah, there's a smell of fajitas about the premises, which I have no problem with that whatsoever. So uh, if you're hungry after church, get over there and get you some fajitas, and they're always really, really good. You can follow along with the sermon this morning in the outline. I did want to say one thing about Billy Graham this week. He's been on the news, of course, because of his passing. And I mean, what an influential person. And it just, um, it really gets me... Uh, it inspires me that they're going to have him in the rot- his body in the rotunda this week at the Capitol in Washington. And just the impact that a person can make when they live a life focused on the gospel. And then just on a more private uh, matter, I've never met him or anything, but reading his biography, and I learned a lot just about how to, how to conduct yourself with integrity and really go the next level and be above reproach with some of the, the decisions that he made in his ministry that, that were kind of self-imposed rules and things, not uh, keeping away from uh, questionable situations. And so just learned a lot from him and, and joined the nation in, in mourning his loss. And I love the quote, though, about he's someday when Billy Graham passes away, just know I'm more alive than ever. And, uh, and that's what we're all looking forward to is being with the Lord in heaven someday. Well, um, <clears throat> I was out of college a few years. I was, in, I was in graduate school, and I was working at the time. And uh, I got a call out of the blue, and then this happened two or three more times. But I'll just tell you about the first call, because I started learning kind of how to spot this. But I got a call out of the blue from a guy who I knew kind of back in the college days. I think we maybe we were in club together, or our, cra- our paths had crossed a few times. But he called me and said, hey, I'm coming through town. Would you mind just kind of catching up, getting some breakfast? And I remember we met at, I said, sure. And we met at a Denny's restaurant there in Norman and uh, got some breakfast together. And I, we did some small talk and kind of seeing where he was at and what he was doing and what I was doing and all this stuff. And then, and then I realized I was in the middle of a sales meeting. Have you ever had this, this experience before? All of a sudden, he's telling about me about this multi-level marketing thing that he's a part of. And I, I think it was healthcare supplements or something. I don't remember exactly. But there was this whole spiel, and he's drawing this thing out on a napkin about you know, how I could get rich with him and all this stuff. And, and anyway, I just... It was kind of that moment where I realized... He's just, trying to, he's just trying to get my money. He's just trying to get me involved in his business. And it was kind of disappointing. You know, it was kind of like, ah. And I was kind of like, I'm, we're wasting our time here and everything. And then I started noticing, I guess it was just that certain season of life, but I got two or three more calls that were like that. And I started getting where I could spot it, you know. And I would just flat out ask you, if, if I didn't know you that well and you're wanting to, to kind of reconnect or something, I would just say, hey, is, does this have anything to do with a business opportunity? If it does, I wish you well, but I'm not interested. And so I guess what I'm telling you, though, is nobody likes feeling like they're on the other end of a sales pitch, they're, like they're being manipulated, like they're being used. And I think that is a good way to kind of frame how some people feel about evangelism, about sharing faith is, you know, nobody wants to feel like they're being manipulated. And I think a lot of people who are outside the church, a lot of people who don't consider themselves Christians, uh, when a Christian builds a relationship with them, they kind of think, okay, you're talking with me, or you're helping me, or you're getting to know me, or you're serving me because you're trying to close a deal. 
you're trying to get me to become a Christian. And that's how they feel. And they, and they don't like feeling like they're being manipulated. And we understand that. And so this morning, we're going to get into a very simple idea. Um, as we've been working through this Neighborhood Watch series, a very simple idea from Jesus about the M&Ms of sharing your faith, about the motives and the methods of sharing our faith. Um, and what we've been doing over the last few weeks is talking about these two greatest commandments in the Bible, loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. And, you know, there are a lot of things that that Christians can disagree about. You know, we can have uh, differences of opinion about different things that we see in the Bible or something. This is not one of those, okay? This is one that Jesus was so crystal clear that if I, if I don't go with him on this, I can't really claim to be a disciple of Jesus because he says nothing matters more than this. And so we can all agree we need to love God and we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. So, I have nine different scriptures this morning, so it probably won't be a two-minute sermon. The good news is, every single one of those nine scriptures says the same thing. Let's put these up on the wall, if you will. There you go. Love your neighbor as yourself. All over the place. I mean, there's one from the Old Testament and then a bunch in the New Testament. This is the center of our faith. This is the center of what it looks like to follow Christ in the world. To love your neighbor as yourself. Now the secret sauce here, we've talked about this for several weeks in a row. We have not really talked about this last part. As yourself. And it is a powerful way to shape and filter how we think about sharing Jesus with those around us in ways that honor them and respect them and feel loving to them instead of manipulative or like we're just trying to sell something to them. And the motive, quite simply, is love. Jesus tells us, love your neighbor. We may or may not have the resources to love our neighbors, but what we have access to as believers is the love of God. And so we can look at that neighbor that lives across the street or down or, or on the, uh, the next block you know, and we may have very little in common with them, but we can see in them the image of God. We can see that they have been made in the image of God, and guess what? God loves them, right? I mean, Jesus came from heaven and earth to die for that person. And so we can be motivated, even when we don't have a lot in common, we can be motivated and should be motivated by the love of God. That's the motive. And so write this down on your outline this morning. The motive, love your neighbor. Love drives what we do. It makes us who we are. And loving someone means that I want the best for them. And the best, the greatest, the most lasting gift anyone can receive is Jesus. You know, there's nothing else that I can give them that will last beyond the grave. Jesus will. Jesus offers eternal life. Jesus offers a love that goes on forever. And so to withhold Jesus from somebody that I care about is a tragic act of selfishness. And because we love them, we want to share Jesus with them. We want them to know Christ. And we're not doing that to convert them. We're doing that because we have been converted. We share Jesus because the gospel has changed us. 
And that motive is there all over the place. It's love. It's love. God loves them so much. For God so loved the world. The method, though, is important as well. All right? Um, Back when Isla and I, when we were church planters in Brazil, one of the key pieces of our ministry, uh, a strategy, if you will, was small group Bible studies. All over the city, we had these groups that met in different members' homes, and we would gather in their living room, and we do this here at Preston Crest. A lot of you know what this looks like. I mean, you sit around, and and you talk about a, a passage of Scripture. You share what's been going on in your week, what's happening with your kids. You pray together, and you maybe invite some relatives or coworkers or neighbors over to these small group gatherings. We had these small group gatherings, and one time we were starting a new small group in a, a lower class, a little bit of a dangerous neighborhood called Turiasu that was pretty close to the church building and so Isla and I and our kids for two or three years we loaded up our our kids into the Volkswagen station wagon we drove to Marcos and Susanna's house where we were having this small group Bible study now I will always remember the very first gathering we pulled up and this night it was just us, it was just them, we were just getting started, and we went in, and they were so nice, and opened up their humble house to us and all this, but there was something a little odd in the living room. You had the couches and everything, there was space for everybody, but in the middle of the living room, there was a microphone stand, kind of like this one, a microphone stand with a microphone on it, and it was wired up to a big loudspeaker that was perched in the window, pointed outward to the neighborhood, all right? I wasn't sure. Maybe they had had a birthday party there, or I don't know what was going on, but I was like, that's a little bit odd, so we did our small talk and everything. We finally sat down for the group, and that's when I realized Ricardo's idea of the small group was that I would be preaching these hyper-evangelistic sermons, and we would be blasting it out to the neighbors. And so we spent the entire, yikes, you know, I mean, I was like, I'm not doing that. And, and we spent our first meeting just talking about what a small group is and how we want to invite the neighbors in because they want to come, not because we're going to force this, this bad American's Portuguese into their house every Wednesday night at 830. And, but it was interesting because it was kind of a delicate and difficult situation because I really loved Marcos's heart. I mean, he cared about his neighbors. He wanted them to know Jesus. And he told me, but Gordon, he said, he said they do voodoo, they do condomble, they, they do all this, this, dark, this dark religious stuff that's, that's just you know, destroying their lives. And, and I want them to know Jesus. And, and I said, Marcos, I said, that's great. And I want them to know Jesus too. But put, I mean, just put yourself in their shoes. If you had had their life experiences and you are where they are, would you want them cranking up their candomblé incantations and blaring it into your house, right? Keeping you awake at night. Would you want that? Um, you need to kind of love them as you love yourself. You need to think about it from their point of view. And that really is where we get into, into kind of the methods um, because his, his motives were pure. His motives were good, but his methods, I think, were pushy and were loud and were rude and would not have helped his neighbors fall in love with Jesus, right? Um, so the Lord said, love your neighbor as yourself. Think about your neighbor uh, in, when you're thinking about how you're going to go about business of connecting with people, of building relationships with them. So that method on your outline this morning is as 
yourself. That is going to filter everything we do in extending love to those around us. We're going to think about, we're going to love them as ourselves. Uh, So conversation and contact with my neighbors, it should be shaped by, it should be filtered by the simple question, if I were the other person, how would I feel if I were on the receiving end of my actions and my words? Okay? Would I want them setting up a loudspeaker and blaring their message into my home? Um, would I want to be on the receiving end of this, of this approach or this, this kind of, of language or, or activity? And, and so my neighbor, loving my neighbor, it means I learn their names. We talked about this this morning in the, in the class I was in. Learn their names. Um, start building a, a friendship with them while expecting nothing in return. Expecting and demanding nothing in return. I want them to know Jesus, yes, but I'm not called to make a sales pitch. I'm not called to twist their arms to force the gospel on them. I hope they get to know Jesus. I pray that they get to know Jesus. And I want to get an opportunity to share my faith with them. But our methods have to be shaped by this as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Have to be shaped by that. And so we should actively seek to share our faith with our neighbors, but our methods are shaped by this as yourself business, which means several things. Uh, The first thing there on your outline, sharing Jesus with love, it is I will strive to put myself in their shoes. I will strive to put myself in their shoes. You know, their experiences Their ideas, their hang-ups have got to matter to me. If you love someone, their experiences, their opinions, their hang-ups, they've got to matter to you. And so my neighbor may be interested in Jesus, may be interested in the Bible, may be interested in church, or they may not, or they may be antagonistic toward religion toward the Bible, to church, to things like that. I'm sure wherever they're at, wherever they find themselves, there have been a variety of experiences, good and bad, that have brought them to this point, right? Have brought them to wherever they are. And guess what? I will never know what those experiences are unless I listen. Unless I listen. Unless I allow them to share their story and I pay attention to their story and I get to know them. So loving them as I love myself means I care about their journey. I care about their story. I'm all ears when it comes to their experiences and I want to hear them tell their story. Now as the friendship grows, this is what happens in friendships. I will at some point get an opportunity to share my story. I will. And I need to be ready to do that. So this is that next bullet point. I will be able and willing to share my story. The difference Jesus has made in my life. Now I encourage Christians to to be able to kind of share their story in 60 seconds or less. Not a lot of detail. But just share your story of the difference Jesus has made, is making in your life in 60 seconds or less. And you might even want to practice that. Sit down with with your spouse, with your kids, or with your friends at church and share that. I mean, what a crazy idea, right? Sharing your faith story with other people. Um, But that's a way that we can practice it and kind of get the nuts and bolts of our individual 
individual stories down where we can share those with, with others, right? And, and along the way, you will get to share your story. Just be ready for that. When you share your story, you're not asking for someone to agree or disagree. I mean, it's just, it's your story. You're telling your story. You're not forcing them to make a decision for Jesus or anything like that. You're just being real. You're talking about your life and your experience with the Lord. Now, at some point, we do hope that we will get opportunities to share the gospel. And that's the next bullet point there. I will be able to share the basic story of the gospel. Um, This is the core of our faith, the good news of Jesus. And it is not just for your ministers or your elders or Bible class teachers to be able to share the gospel. It is for every disciple of Jesus to be able to share the gospel. Why? The gospel is powerful. The gospel is how God saves people. And so we need to know the gospel and be able to share it. And good news, it's not that complicated. But look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 1 about the gospel. Let's put that up there. Romans chapter 1. And if you would read this with me. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. It is the power of God, the gospel. And I need to be able to share the gospel. Um, We are sinners, all of us. We have distanced ourselves. We have separated ourselves from a holy and just, a perfect God by our sins. The good news God came from heaven to earth. He sent the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to come and live a perfect and holy life, the kind of life that none of us has been capable of living. And then he offered himself on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. By his stripes we have been healed. By his love we have the opportunity to live eternally with God. That is the gospel. It all centers around the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A good little starting point would be like John 3.16. Everybody's heard that, right? It's the story of the gospel in a nutshell. And once people understand the gospel, once people are perhaps convicted by the gospel, then we can talk, okay, here's what it looks like to follow Jesus, right? Here's how you put Jesus on in baptism. We get to have those conversations because once someone understands it and is convicted by it, they're going to ask those kinds of questions. They're going to want to know that stuff. Um, But as we think about our neighbors, part of loving them as we love ourselves involves this. The next thing there on the outline is that I will share Jesus without without having these expectations. You know, each neighbor, each person has the right to accept or reject Jesus or just be unsure about Jesus. Maybe they're not ready uh, to follow Jesus at this point. So that, to me, I can breathe easy. I am not called to be a salesman. We are not closing sales for the Savior. That's not what we're doing throughout the New Testament. We are called not salesmen. We are called witnesses. And what does a witness do? A witness simply shares what they have found to be true. That's what they do. They simply share what they, they share their story. That's what a witness does. So there is no pressure here at all. 
no pressure. Um, what the other person does with what I share, that is up to them, okay? That is up to them. And by the way, sales pitches tend to be like a one-time thing, like, here, let me show you this project. Let me sign you up for this business opportunity, right? Um, sales pitches tend to be a one-time thing. Witnessing is not a one-time thing. It happens over time in a relationship. We're going to have a lot of conversations with our neighbors, hopefully. Um, and we're going to get to share that story over time and be witnesses over time. Certainly, we're going to get to pray with them or, or for them over time, maybe even with them at some point. But finally, that gets us to the final thing. This is the starting place. Uh, this is the ending place. This is the middle place. It is prayer. We can pray for our neighbors. We need to be to invite the Holy Spirit into these conversations, into these bumping into each other as we're walking our dogs or at the mailbox or whatever. So I will pray for my neighbors, among other things, that they will come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, that they will hear the gospel and that their hearts will be convicted and that they will want to follow the Lord. They will unwrap that greatest gift that has ever been given. The one that outlasts the grave. The gift of Jesus Christ. And so my hope is that I will get to share my story. Most importantly, at some point, I'll get to share the gospel story. Um, and I can't control, I cannot control what my coworker or my neighbor uh, or my family member or my friend does with that. I just know that if I love them, if I, I have to be concerned with their soul and I want them to know Jesus, okay? Um, I, just, I thought of this this morning. I added this this morning. I took out something I had in my sermon, and I thought, no, I need to share this thing. Because just a few weeks ago, Isla and I, uh, we got invited to go to lunch after church one Sunday morning with a, with a member here. And we didn't know her very well, but, so we were excited. To, to, she lives right by us, so we thought, well, let's go uh, and let's eat her chili. She makes great chili. So Diana Gray made us chili and invited us into her home. And, and I just asked her over chili. I said, so what's your story? I, I, I don't know you all that well. And she told the most amazing story. Um, she was converted. She accepted Jesus when she was 59 years old. And she is an amazing volunteer at this church, leading our grief share ministry and involved in all sorts of stuff. But I was like, well, how did that come about? And she said, well, I've been at J.C. Penney's forever. Uh, I'd worked there and... Um, and I was an executive at JCPenney, and she said there was this man who was one of the vice presidents there at JCPenney, and she said, she said I, I noticed he just conducted himself with such poise, and, and he handled difficult uh, team members there at work with, with great wisdom and difficult situations. He was all, and so she said, at one point, I just said, hey, Ron... Um, would you coach me? Would you help me become the kind of executive that you are here in the company? And Ron said, sure. And so they started meeting. And over time, she was able to notice he wasn't pushy or anything, but she, was able, she, she noticed the thing that was different about him was his faith. That was what fueled so many other things going on in his life. And she's, she's like, tell me more about that. And so Ron shared more and more with her, and eventually... <coughs> 
Ron baptized her into Christ um, and introduced her to the Preston Crest Church Christ. He's not even a member of this church, but he thought it would be a great fit for her. Thank you, Ron. I've never met you, but thank you for bringing us Diana Gray. Um, but so much other things, I, so many other things I could share about her story, but it was remarkable to me. I mean, she told me this morning when I asked, I said, would you mind if I share this? I just thought this story would work this morning. She said, no, share it. She said, if nothing else, it just shows people that don't give up on a neighbor that might be a little older or something not that 59 is that old right but we normally think of people coming to Christ and getting in the baptistry when they're like 14 or 15 and she was 59 and what a difference it's made for her um, how how joyful she is now she just wishes um, she just wishes she had found Jesus a lot earlier you know that's the thing she'll tell you is I just feel like a lot of my life I just wish I would have known Jesus back then uh, but there are these approaches <coughs> to sharing faith that don't work well. Um, they tend to be the ones where I'm dealing with that other person in ways that I wouldn't want them to deal with me in those ways. Um, each of us is a believer and we're called to share the gospel. Uh, but once I think we understand that what we have to share is so precious, is so good, it really is good news. And once we kind of understand that, internalize that, um, we see that we don't have to go around like force feeding a message or anything. Um, and so I just pray this morning as we finish out our time and, the, and this st series, this launch of this neighboring stuff, I just pray that the Holy Spirit um, will fill us with God's love, right? That God's love, nothing else, God's love is what motivates us to love our neighbors and be witnesses for Him. And I, and I also pray for us that the Holy Spirit will shape our methods. Uh, there's a million different ways you can love your neighbor as yourself. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit will shape those, mold those, show us what He wants us to do so that we can do a good job of loving our neighbor as ourselves. And the fruit, the outcomes, it's all up to God. Um, we just want to be faithful witnesses. And, and so I can't finish this morning without just giving you that, that gospel invitation. I mean, Jesus died for you. Um, there is no way of being made right with God. There is no way to enter into eternal life on your own. Jesus is the way. And thank God he provided Jesus for free. This is the grace of God. He invites everyone. Remember that word in that verse we read from Romans chapter 1? Everyone can be saved through Jesus Christ. God wants for every person to spend eternity with him in heaven and to live with purpose here on earth, loving their neighbor as their self. And so this morning, if you have not given your life to Christ, you can do that. This morning, if you have not been baptized in the name of Jesus so that your sins could be washed away, you can do that. One final thing before I finish, John Scott, pass it to you. Next Sunday, we will have our PC Connect membership workshop. And if you want to be a part of this church family at Preston Crest, come join us. You can sign up. There's information in the bulletin on that. And uh, we'll spend a couple hours and have lunch together next Sunday afternoon. But we would love to have you be a part of that if you would like to make Preston Crest your church home. However you need to respond, maybe you just need prayers, we would invite you to respond to the Lord this morning as we stand together and worship together.